Hi, I'm Jackie, and we're in the middle of a series called Faith, Hope, Love, and Lament. And today we're talking about love. Does loving God and others look any different in our second half of life? That's what we're talking about today. We're talking about love. Welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast, where we're having off-the-record conversations. I'm Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese, founder and president of the Marcella Project. As a pastor, preacher, and thought leader, I've walked with women of faith for decades and had thousands of conversations about what women encounter solely because they are women. At work, family, their faith, with relationships, sex, the church, their bodies, and Jesus. On this podcast, we're going to be asking hard questions, dealing with real issues, and revisiting scripture with a new lens. These conversations are going to put words to your female experience. They're going to ennoble you as Jesus intended and encourage you to bring your full self to the table. It's here we're going to reshape our view. Welcome back. We're talking about love today. You know, when we were younger in our faith, we learned a whole lot about God's love, right? Things like you know, we love God because he first loved us. That's what 1 John 4, 19 says. When I first came to faith, I actually found it hard to love God, mostly because I think it's hard to love someone you don't know. And, and I, I knew that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, but that was pretty much all I knew about Jesus. And when I came to seminary as a brand new believer, I remember wandering around on campus and people would constantly be throwing out this statement, I want to be more like Jesus. And I remember thinking in my brain, how can I be like someone I don't even know? How do you be like someone, let alone love someone you don't know? That was my quandary. I remember while I was in seminary, there was a woman who was uh, probably about 20 years older than me. And she shared with me that, you know, she talked to Jesus. She prayed with him for an hour in the morning. And I thought, wow, how do you do that? Like, what do you have to say? And I thought, well, I think I'll give it a shot. And so that very next day in the morning, because I think that's when you're supposed to pray to Jesus, actually about 5.30 in the morning, that never worked for me. But anyway, it was probably more like 9 o'clock. And I went into my bedroom and I told my children, who were very young at the time, I'm going to lock you out of the bedroom and I do not want you to knock on the door or call for me unless there is a fire or blood. And when I say blood, I'm not talking about a little scratch. I'm talking gushing blood. That's the only reason you're to come into this room or knock on the door. And I remember I took off my watch and I laid it on the bed and I got on my knees to pray because, you know, that's how you're supposed to pray. And I tried it. Like I tried to say everything I possibly could to Jesus. And when I finished, I realized it had been only like five minutes. It's really hard to love someone you don't know. It's really hard to talk to someone for a very long time that you don't know. I came to know God's love through the scriptures. That's really the first place that I got to know about God's love. And I suspect that's true of you too. Stories like, um, well, probably one of my favorite, the prodigal son, right? In Luke 15, you know the story. It's a very common story where this young boy comes to his dad and says, hey, can I have my inheritance? Which basically means I wish you were dead so I could have your money, but since you're not, can I have it anyway? And what's mind blowing is the dad gives it to him The boy goes away and lives this really wild life, right? He blows the whole inheritance. He ends up living with the pigs, and he decides his dad's servants are living better than he is, and so he's going to go home. 
Now, I want you to stop and just think for a minute. What did the sun look like? What did his hair look like? What about his eyes? Dark, sunken in. What did he smell like? Pigs? Yes, I want you to envision the the shuffled hair, the raggy clothes. Maybe like we might have an image of a homeless person. That's what he looked like. And that's important because in verse 20, it says that while the boy was still a long way off, the father saw him coming. Now, what do you think the father saw? The very same thing that we have in our minds, right? The point is he knows what the son's been up to. And in verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 20, it says, the father is filled with love and compassion and runs to the son and embraces and kisses him. Father, the son says, I have sinned both against heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired hand. Notice he asked to be a hired hand. He doesn't even mention being a slave. Now, a hired hand is like um, a day laborer. Here in Austin, if I go to the Home Depot, I can actually find a bunch of men there waiting to be hired for the day, right? And then they go do the work and then they go home and what they make for the day is what they get to have to live on. A slave is actually someone who lives on the property, who has a roof over their head and has meals on the table. The son is asking for a lesser position than a slave. And this should tell us where he is at. He feels shameful, disgusted. We've all been there, right? The text says that the father is filled with love and compassion, and he runs. Catch that statement. He runs to the son. It's the only time in the scriptures where God is pictured as running. And in that culture, like think about it, a man wore long tunics, right, down to the bottom of their legs. What would you have to do to run? You'd have to pull the garment up, right, and show the legs. A man showing his legs would be considered shameful, humiliating. I love this description of what God is willing to do to redeem us. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus humiliates himself on our behalf. These are the stories that we learned, right? The father says to the servant, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And that cultural slave didn't wear sandals. Only free people wore sandals. Do you see what's being revealed about our father? He's willing to humiliate himself. He's willing to set us free and allow us to be fully accepted It was through stories like that that I came to learn God's love for me was unconditional and everlasting, and that made me feel very secure. It actually allowed me to get on with other things, to grow up, because my relationship with him was settled. I didn't have to keep working at it or fear that I was losing a relationship with him. This is what ordering is all about. Remember we talked about ordering, disordering, and reordering I was being ordered by God's love through the scriptures, and I suspect you were too. But as I went along in my faith journey, I discovered there were other ways that I could come to know God's love. Some of those ways really weren't talked about or celebrated in my conservative faith tradition and still aren't. I remember one time this um, pastor, some of you think he's a heretic, so I won't tell you his name, even though now that's all you can concentrate on. He says there's different ways that we come to know things. 
Like, let's say we wanted to know about lips. We could cut some cells off the lip and put it underneath the microscope and study, and, and study it. And that, and that would be like one way to know about lips, right? But to be kissed on the lips, that's a whole other way of knowing. So I want us to pause for just a minute and think about how you have experienced God's kiss. I asked this question to several women, and it was very interesting to watch them try to put words to this experience of being kissed on the lips by Jesus. One woman said she experienced it during custody, during a custody trial, and where it was like he poured warm water over her in the middle of the court, letting her know that he was covering her and that he was in control. Another woman said, when I was a prodigal daughter and went back to Jesus, I felt his love surround me like a cocoon, totally encased in his love. It was very tangible. Another woman said, in a bouquet of roses, that were a response to a whole lot of fish shaking at the heavens that day. Another woman responded, I was in the darkest, emptiest pit of nothingness and despair and literally heard the voice say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. What was interesting to me when I had women answer this question was I found, like I do, that they have a hard time putting words to this being kissed by Jesus. To me, it's much like um, when I stood on the ledge, the edge of the Grand Canyon. If you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, you know what I'm talking about. It's it's just enormous and... well, here I am. I can't put words to it. It's awe-inspiring. There is this wonder, this gut thing that happens. And then you take a picture, and you share it with someone else. And, well, the gut thing isn't quite being transferred in the picture, is it? It just can't translate, and it's hard to describe. But it doesn't make it any less real. First John four nineteen tells us that we love God because he first loved us. And then we learn that our response, our, our, our maybe outpouring to God's unconditional, everlasting love is to love God and love others. But that's a whole lot easier said than done. And I was wondering, how does love look in the rearview mirror? In older age, looking back on it. And I decided to speak with my friend and colleague, Barb Hazeke, about it. I've known Barb for decades. Even though I've trained Barb to become a preacher, she's actually what I call my pastor because she's the one I go to when I need to talk about Jesus and life and how this really looks when the rubber meets the road. And I want you to listen into our conversation as we talk about what it looks like to love God and love others as we've aged. you, what do you think it means? What does it really look like, I think, in our older age to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength? And as you're thinking about that, I just want to say something about um, a colleague of mine, Kat Armstrong, that I think you'll find very interesting. She just wrote a book called No More Holding Back. And in it, she argues that the church actually has gendered the Shema. This idea that loving God with our heart, soul, and mind is gendered, that women are expected to love God with their heart and soul. And men are expected to love God with their mind and their strength. 
And I think that's a very interesting concept to ponder over. And I think she's actually right. But since we aren't men, I know, think about that, right? Um, (laughs) There's some truth to that. But I thought it'd be interesting just, you know, when I talk to the women about what does it mean to love God with your heart, soul, and mind, somebody said, I can't put words to it. Another woman said, that seems impossible to achieve, especially if we think Mm -hmm. about love being agape love, the kind of love in which God loves us with. So fire away. Tell me what you think that looks like, if you could describe it as best we can. Well, I'll just I'll I'll just walk you through a little bit of the process I went through as you raised those questions and um, and when the impossible standards words were put out there, I thought, well, of course, it it actually is an impossible standard, and it really caused me to think, well, what exactly what exactly does it look like? What am I being asked to do? And um, and it did take me back to Deuteronomy six where. The Shema starts with Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And I think, um, I think that when he was talking and when God was speaking to the Israelites, he was calling them to love him only because they were in this polytheistic environment and he was saying to them, no, I am the only one. I'm the, the first and foremost one, really. What, how do we do that? And I, I think the one of the things that I thought of was that, uh, we're actually hardwired for love because God created us that way. Mm-hmm. We're going to love something. And that makes sense because we're image bearers. He is love. Uh, and so we were, but the main capacity to love uh, was given to us so that we would, we would give it back to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, that isn't what Adam and Eve did. They chose lesser gods. They chose, chose lesser love. They basically told, chose substitutes. Right. And that's what, I mean, God was calling the Israelites out of that. Don't do that now because the Holy Spirit's in there. There's conversation going on. He's calling to me. I, I can now look to him and turn to him and love him back is what I, what I see. But then there's that big word where he says, love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and I go yeah Lord I I want to love you the fact that I even want to love you is a function of you giving grace right, for that grace, to happen. yes I mean I wouldn't have done it on my own right he, right, he right. wanted me and I he pursued me and I said I turned around and said okay one day um but I don't do it all the time with all my heart and and that is the part that is really um that's the hard part of this I think for me and so that's where grace comes in again. I started thinking about this and I was like, why, why doesn't that wreck me all the time that I, that I don't love him with all, all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? And it's because there was somebody who finally did. Mm. And that was Jesus. Uh, he did it. I, you know, he lived the perfect life that I, that I couldn't do. I could not do that. So but you hide did. in his he, life, basically, like Paul I says, do. in Christ. That is exactly what I've learned to do. I rest in that fact that um, that he he was the one who fulfilled that covenant promise. You know, he's the one who who um, made the covenant with the Father the way the Israelites couldn't do, and the way I can't do, and the way none of us can do perfectly. But Jesus did, and and that that's been huge as far as resting in what he did and remembering it. So then when I hear that scripture now or that verse about 
uh, or that call to, um, to love God with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, instead of it inducing guilt, what really comes up is gratitude. Well, I'm so glad, Lord, that somebody uh, finally loved you the way you deserve to be loved. And now I can rest in the, the work that he did. I think one of the things you said that I think is interesting, and even the word repentance means this, in the beginning you said, it's a turning toward him because he's loved mm-hmm. me first, right? You're turning toward him. So maybe what it means yeah. to love with all your heart, soul, and mind is a choice of turning toward him instead of choosing to love others. And I was trying to find this yeah. quote, and I can't remember where it is, but this guy said one time about, because it used to drive me crazy that God demanded <laughs> that we love him with all his heart, soul, and mind. Like, what is this guy, an egomaniac or something, you know? Like, yeah. what does he need that for? Yeah. And then I realized what he's actually doing is very much what you're saying about setting it in the Old Testament context where there were multiple gods, right? He's actually Mm -hmm. saying, don't chase after those ones. Don't go after them. Mm -hmm. Because if you do, they're going to actually put you in bondage. You're going to experience and introduce some sense of injustice into your life, someone's life that you love, or the world in which you live and move. And it's beautiful if you think about it that way. He's saying, don't go there. I don't want you to be less than you are. So I'm going to move us to the second part, which I think is easier easier for us to put words to, maybe not as easy to do. And that is to love others, right? And I love how Jesus Mm -hmm. ups the command by saying, love others as I have loved you, right? And then he even mentions that we're to love our enemies. And um, I thought about that a while back and thought, you know, I don't think I've ever had to love an enemy, Um, but I have had to love prickly people. And, you know, mm-hmm. you know a lot about my story with my dad. I'm going to share a little bit of it. And then I'd love to have you speak into who have you had to love that's prickly and how did that look for you? And maybe even how has your idea of what it looks like to love them shifted now that you're looking at it, mm-hmm. looking back on it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Are you still loving them in the same way that you did when you were younger? Or has it shifted? And if so, maybe why? Or what have you learned about that? And and I just, like, when I think about my dad and I's story, you know, he was abusive and not a good dad and not a very nice person. And um, I always feel like I'm being nice at how well I'm saying that. <laughs> um, but, you know, he was a really, he was and is a very hard person to love. And mm-hmm. I remember when I first came to faith, I read um, one of the scriptures that says, honor your mother and father. And I got to tell you, I was scanning for the clause, but I, I never found one, you know? And so I was like, okay, <laughs> Jesus, you're going to have to teach me how to show honor to my dad. Because I just, I couldn't figure out how to honor him, how to love him without putting myself in danger, you know, emotionally, physically, yeah. spiritually, mm-hmm. in it, you know, so I had to figure out what mm-hmm. it looked like. And, and I did come to a place one time where I started praying, okay, Jesus, it's your responsibility. You're telling me that I need to love my dad. And so I'm, I'm going to count on you to show me how that looks without being too much in his space. And I will never forget one time praying that. And like that very weekend, we got um, a newspaper. And in the newspaper were these comics, which we never got the comic section. But for some reason this weekend, they were in there. And I started reading through them, and there was this one my dad would totally love and totally get. And I felt the spirit kind of prick me and say, that's for you to send to your dad. And so that was just, I I watched Jesus provide those ways for me along the way. Mm -hmm. And then I remember one time my dad saying to me, um, he was mad at me. I wasn't 
being what he wanted. He's a bit of a narcissist, and so he expects a certain way in which you are to um, engage him, deal with him, affirm him, appease him, those kinds of things. And I wasn't doing that properly. And so I remember him kind of scolding me um, very sharply saying, you know, you're supposed to honor your mother and father and you're not honoring me. And at the time he wasn't even a Christian. I'm thinking, are you really throwing scripture at me? (laughs) And, uh, And I remember immediately saying to him, you are absolutely right, dad. I do need to honor you. But the difference here is that you don't get to decide what honor looks like. Jesus does. And so I'll let him tell me what it looks like to honor you. And then I, I remember Beautiful. one time, you know, when, you know, my parents are in New York and I would go to New York and when I went home for the summer, I would always make a point to visit my dad once and I would make sure it was a very short time. And I usually tried to make sure that there was someone with me because that would help. But uh-huh. there was um, uh-huh. a season where my dad said some things and did some things that just, just bl- kind of blew me up emotionally. Every time I left New York, I, you know, I would have these encounters and it would take me, it felt like it would take me a month to get my bearings back, you know, to feel like I was emotionally healthy again. And this was Mm -hmm. one of those times. And, um, I just, I just, for the first time in, in this long journey of loving my dad, who's very prickly decided, I think I'm going to sever ties for a period of time. I wasn't indefinite, Mm -hmm. but I thought I'm going to, I need to take a break. The beautiful thing was Steve and I talked about that. That was hard for me to say Mm -hmm. that the most loving thing for me to do right now is to have absolutely no contact with my dad. Because that doesn't feel or look very loving, especially when you look at scriptures and we talk about laying down your life and sacrificing for, you know, like those, I'm like, well, this doesn't, you know, breaking tie doesn't look like you're laying down your life for my dad, you know? So I remember talking to Steve about it and he said, I'll tell you what, I think that's a really smart move for right now. And how about I go in your stead? So every time Mm -hmm. we went home, which I would normally go visit my dad once out of that time, Steve would go visit him and he filled in for me Mm -hmm. for a whole year. I thought that was a beautiful provision that Jesus gave me. Um, mm-hmm. Then we went back into relationship. And just when I look back, it has changed in how it looks all the way through these 30-some years of, of walking with Jesus and trying to figure it out. It's, it's changed. It's not been a formula. It's not, it's not even been a formula like for him and I that I could apply all the way through those 30 years. I had to constantly be going back to Jesus and adjusting what this is going to look like. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's what I would say to people is loving somebody who's prickly can't be formulaic. It won't be formulaic. And it's going to be something that has to be highly relational between you and Jesus. You have to be listening to the spirit and letting Jesus decide how it's going to look. Not not your faith community, because sometimes the faith community will pressure you that love looks like, quite frankly, Jesus isn't asking you to to do it though. I was thinking I've had that exact same experience with Hampton. I, you know, and when he was in high school, there was a short period there where he was starting to get abusive and the abuse was actually coming out on me. And I think that's because he could get away with it. Right. And so we went to see Gary Barnes, our counselor. And, and he Mm -hmm. said to me, um, the most loving thing you can do for your son right now is stop mothering. And I was Mm -hmm. like, what? Like, to me, the most loving thing is to be highly relational with someone, right? Like to be in the game with them, to show up right. and do the feet washing. Like I can do the messy. Like to me, that's love, right? Like, and here yeah. he was saying, no, the most loving thing is to stop mothering. Like you're just not mm-hmm. to make any decisions. You're not to engage any conversations. You're not to inform him of any things. You're not to, you know, don't cook for him. Like just stop. 
And I was like, mm-hmm. oh my God, you're mm-hmm. asking me to do the hardest thing in my life. Stop being relational with someone I love. Yeah. And it was the most loving but thing that I could do. It is. It often is. And even more recently, I have uh, been doing similar things that you just described, Jackie, where I've been praying because I are we are not physically close now to our son and he is living away from us. And um, I was used to, even though we stepped away and took steps back, we were still very, you know, informed and involved and uh, the Lord was continuing to pry or just kind of move us out of the picture. And finally I became okay with that. And then I realized, yes, but how do I, how do I love him way over here? And um, I have also, yeah, I've also sensed from time to time at different moments where he would, the Lord would say, send him that song Mm -hmm. or uh, just, just a quick text. I used to think I had to get on the phone with him. And when we were on the phone, the conversation might start out okay, but it would always tend to just go back to bad places. And then I thought I had to stay on the phone right. while there was, you know, stuff being said that probably was no good for him or good for me. Right. And then I, and I, what I realized is that the Holy Spirit is very creative. Uh, the idea that, that, um, you know, that Steve could go in your stead, mm-hmm. that's a creative alternative. Why it do is. you feel like we have to be painted into a corner and it has to look the way it used to? No, it's a relationship. They grow, they ebb, they flow. And it can be uh, lots of different things. Like you're, you know, in your later years, you're looking back. Okay. What, what did you see that has shifted? Um, that actually was a lot easier to answer than I thought it was going to be. Because uh, I've lived, I'm 70 years old now, so there's a lot of life behind me. <laughs> um, but uh, I think it's the whole concept of loving uh, your neighbor as yourself. And what has shifted for me, and I would say definitely in the last decade, and I'm sad to say that it took that long, but I, I have learned to be more, to be gentler with myself, to have compassion on me. <laughs> that wasn't even in my vocabulary 10 years ago. I had no idea, but I will, I'm a recovering perfectionist. Mm-hmm. And so I was very hard on myself and I thought that life had to be done a certain way. And I thought I had to do it a certain way. I had to I thought I had to be somebody that I wasn't, and I always felt like I was falling short. And all those prickly people in my life didn't help and given me compassion for myself and said, basically, I love you. I love you just the way you are. And so... Well, what's interesting I hear you saying is he's taught you that what it means to love your neighbor is that you're the neighbor. Yeah. You're the neighbor that needed loving. Yes. And we, I think I've, I've forgot about myself for decades and decades with a large family and moving all the time and all the things that have occurred. It was just like I was on the back burner. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, you know, so when I started to realize I need to be healthy too, and it really looked like letting God love me the way he always wanted to. It was really just, he was saying, would you just receive my love for you? And I can remember sitting in counselor's office and talking to certain people, and Jackie, you're one of them. There was a time when you would say, or others would say something really nice to me, and I, it makes me teary now. I would tear up because I was so, I could not hear soft words, mm. you know? My internal dialogue was very harsh mm. but with, towards myself. And, um, 
it has softened over the years because I, I think I really believe, finally believe, or at least nearly finally, uh, that I am his beloved daughter. Yeah. I leaned into his love and it has, he has rescued me and rescued me. And, and it makes me want to lean in toward people too and look them in the eye. And, and if I, even if I don't say it with, with my life and with my heart and whatever, I basically say, I know you need a rescue too, don't you? I'm grateful for women like Barb who know the word and wrestle with Jesus around these complex, nuanced issues we face in real life. That woman has wisdom. I want to close with um, something Barb and I talked about a while back. I was sharing with her my thoughts about how we as the church have failed in loving those who've shifted in their beliefs, particularly in areas like homosexuality, immigration, and politics. We've not only failed, but in many ways, I think we've been downright mean and ugly to each other. And I'm very mindful of what Jesus said in John 13, 34. He said to his disciples, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And later, just before he ascends, before his disciples, male and female, he said in John 17, 20 through 21, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that, here we go, the world will believe that you sent me. Which, by the way, I have to pause and do a little bit of a rant here. This is why I reject the teaching that men need respect and women need love. That's ridiculous to gender these human needs. Um, I, I, hear, I heard a woman one time teach this idea of w love and respect. And she gave this example that women, you know, when you go out to dinner with your husband and you're out with people, don't disrespect him in front of others because men need respect. And I thought to myself, well, yeah, like there's just something really wrong with being disrespectful to him. And then I thought, well, wait a minute. I don't want to be disrespected in front of others either. Do you? No, because it's not a gender thing. It's a human thing. Like to be respectful to people is being Christ-like. And love isn't something that only women need or they need more than men because Jesus said love is going to be the defining characteristic of what it means to be his follower. It's going to be the characteristic that woos the rest of the world to him. So I'm just really not good with all that pop Christianity, love, respect stuff. Okay, I'm done with my rant. Back to the text. I was sharing with Barb, right, about how the church had failed in loving each other in such a way that actually would woo the world to Jesus Christ. And I asked her what she thought about this. Like, how do you balance this tension that we seem to be having in our churches about, like, holding on to the truth around homosexuality and women's rights over our body and politics and showing love? Like, how do we keep this intention? And then she took me to the story. She told me that a while back, her brother divorced, and underneath what she knew about Scripture, his divorce was not what she would have called a biblical divorce. And then he remarried, and he invited her and her husband to the wedding, and she said no. 
because she didn't want him to think that she approved of this new wedding because it wasn't within the framework of being biblical. And so she said no. And later, I don't even know how much later, but it was quite a bit later, the Holy Spirit came to her one time and thunked her on the shoulder. You know how the Spirit does that. Excuse me. Can we talk? And he asked Barb, are you my brother's keeper? And she realized that the Spirit was convicting her. It wasn't her job to make sure he was doing things right for Jesus. And so she called him and apologized. And after she told me that story, she said these profound words. She said, Jackie, the older I get, the more I get to know Jesus, I just, I see he spoke less and acted more. So yeah, I'm looking back and learning. Barb, Barb is learning. Talk less, act more. And I think I'll leave us with those wise words from Barb. Hey, if you've enjoyed this conversation, then hop on over to themarcellaproject.com and sign up for our email or check out some of our other resources. You can also find me on the Marcella Project Facebook page or on every other platform of social media as Jackie Reese, R-O-E-S-E. Have a great day.